0: chapter 9 in your Bibles, if you would. We'll pick up where we left off last time. I'm, I do have the rest of the chapter done as far as my preparations concerned. My delivery might be a totally different thing. So um, I'm going to do my best to at least, we'll get enough done today to where we should finish Romans 9 next week if we don't finish it tonight. But I, I don't really want to be rushed. I want to take the time to be able to spell out what I need to spell out to you here. And And the importance is uh, avoiding false doctrine. Uh, But the beauty of this is, as we start looking at the right doctrine on this subject, there's some applications here to our life that'll give you something that'll help you out in your personal walk with Jesus Christ. And uh, that's very, very important to me um, as a pastor. And when I think about you and I think about myself and, and I think about where we're going, I want you to get out of church what you need from church. And that is a closer walk with the Lord. If you stop and think about that for a minute, it's up to you. Did you hear me? Yeah. It's up to you. Yeah. You can get as close to God as you want. That's right. He did everything that needs to be done. He traveled how many billions of light years down here to this planet on the backside of a galaxy somewhere to bleed and die on a cross of Calvary to take away your sin and make a way for you to go to heaven. I mean, somebody that would go that far for you and do that much for you. When you were unlovable, dead in trespasses and sins, lost and on your way to hell, and had nothing to offer him. Because let's just stop and be realistic for a minute. Let's not be religious tonight. Let's be realistic. Realistically, regardless of what you hear in church nowadays. Realistically, what can you and I offer God? How many... Forgive me for a second, okay? I, I'm not trying to be cold or callous whatsoever. Uh, any of you that know me and have known me for a while understand that I'm, I'm, I'm not really cold and callous. But you've got to stop and think about some of this stuff sometimes. It'll help you a little bit. How many billions of people have already died? Live their, live their short little lives. Yeah. I don't care if you made it to 105. That's nothing and died and the sun keeps rising and the sun keeps setting and the world keeps spinning and God's still sitting on his throne and he's just perfectly fine. (laughs) I can't stand this stuff, man, this modern day stuff. You listen to some of these contemporary songs nowadays and it's just like he chased me, he pursued me and all this stuff. He already did everything he's got to do for you. And he loved you when you weren't lovable. Now, if he did all that, you don't think he wants to walk with you. To me, that blows my mind that God wants to walk with me when I have nothing to offer him. We were looking last week at this verse 13 in Romans 9. He said, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. We're talking Bible tonight, right? We're talking about giving you the truth, right? We're not being religious. When have you heard a modern-day preacher get in a pulpit and preach this verse? You know, the Bible says God's angry with the wicked every day. It says that the wrath of God, in John chapter 3, if they believe not, the wrath of God abideth on him. These six, six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination of him, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that are swift if running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies. He didn't say he hates the lie. He says, "I hate the false witness that speaks the lie and he that soweth discord among the brethren. He didn't say, I hate sowing discord among the brethren. He said, I hate the guy that's liar, and I hate the guy that sows discord. Well, they'll say it's, you know, an unfortunate rendering, or hate doesn't mean hate. You think God doesn't hate sinners when he throws them into hell for all of eternity? That's still in the Bible. You know that, right? Don't don't listen to these lying fools that tell you Jesus never preached on hell. I had a lost guy come to me, a doctor. he come to me and he, we were having a discussion and he was like, well, I read this article and all the, all the faith leaders said that, you know, Jesus never really spoke about hell. I said, man, don't listen to the faith leaders. I said, please. I said, what, what are, what are they te- where are they getting their facts from? I said, I read my Bible a few times every year and I've been reading it for years and years and years and I'm telling you, you cannot read through the Gospels and the preaching of Jesus Christ and not see that he preached on hell more than he preached on heaven. Some of the most violent passages of scriptures you're going to read in your Bible is him warning you about hell. He said, if I eye offend thee, pluck it out. If thy foot offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee." Black. You, you, you got to think about it. You don't meditate on the scriptures. We're going to meditate. We didn't meditate. You'll feel better, you know. Think about your Bible. He said, chop it off and cast it from you because it's better to do that and enter into your life halt than to have two feet and get thrown into the lake of fire, two eyes to be thrown in the lake, uh, two hands to be thrown in the lake of fire. That's how horrible hell is. And he's warning them, saying, listen, don't go to the place of my wrath. Well, oh, God loves everybody. Yeah, you know where? You know where you find the love of God? You find it at the foot of the cross. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. If you want the love of God, you better get to Jesus Christ or you don't have the love of God. So God does hate some things. And to be honest with you, God hates some people. He died for people he hates. You know what he said? He said sodomy is an abomination. And then he burned up a city for it. And then in the New Testament, he tells them, as you're preaching to the church at Corinth, he said, in such were some of you, but you're washed, but you're sanctified, but you're justified in the name of Christ Jesus. You mean, there was, you mean in the church at Corinth, there was homosexuals sitting there that used to be homosexual, but got saved, got washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, got sanctified, and are now the sanctified, purified bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, according to the Bible. I'm, I'm sick of preachers giving you one side of the story. You want the love of God? You want God to love you? You do want God to hate you. He said, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Why'd God hate Esau? We saw it last week. Esau didn't care about spiritual things at all. Esau didn't care about his birthright, which would have bared with it a, a, a spiritual responsibility in the family and a spiritual pedigree. He didn't care about that. But he wanted the blessing." So he comes around looking for the blessing, and when he realizes he can't get the blessing, he has this kind of repentance where he's weeping and and, and carefully with tears, and the Bible tells us there's no place of repentance for him. And the reason for that was not because God wouldn't forgive somebody who's asking for forgiveness. The reason for that, like I showed you last week, is because Esau was a fornicator and a profane person. He was a wicked man. In his heart, he wanted God's blessings without living up to the expectations God had to be blessed. You understand that, right? In other words, he was sorry that he got caught, but he wasn't sorry for what he had done. In other words, it's like, well, it's not really my fault, but yeah, I messed up, I made a mistake, but it's not really me because I'm actually a really good person and good people make mistakes and I just made a mistake. That's not repentance. Right. Repentance is, do you know what I am? Woe is me for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. It's it's Job that says, I've seen your glory, and now I abhor myself. I hate what I am. I am guilty, God. I have no defense, and I'm sorry. And boy, when somebody comes to God like that, God says, all right, forgiven. Just, just as far as the east is from the west. It's gone, man. It's, it's all good. That's repentance. You don't get that kind of preaching nowadays because preachers don't love you. They love your money. Well, what the Bible teaches us is that God hates some things, and He hated Esau. Now look at verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For He saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy Let's pray real quick. Father, I love you this evening. I thank you for the opportunity to be here. I thank you for your book. I thank you for what you've showed me. And God, I ask you to help me to be able to lay this out in a way that'll be clear and helpful to the people that are here tonight. And God, in a way that'll that'll burn in our hearts, Father, that'll wake us up and that'll help us love this book more, love you more and realize, Lord, that you're a great God. And that if we'll come to you, if we'll try to draw closer to you, if we'll give ourselves to you just like we are, Lord, with a humble heart, that you'll, you'll love us and you'll bless us and you'll help us. And God, that's what we need tonight. We ask it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Now let me teach this to you. and I want you to, I want you to listen on purpose. Let me teach this to you the way it's taught by people that say you have no choice. Because what we've been dealing with is two different things from this passage. This passage clearly and soundly rebukes two very common doctrines that are taught from the passage. Are you with me? So, so what happens with false doctrine is they take a verse here or a verse there and they pull those passages or those verses out of their context and they don't compare other passages to those passages, but they'll grab something like this, and I'm going to show you how it works. I'm going to teach it to you their way. And one of the ways, one of the things that's taught from this passage is that God's done with Israel, never to return to her. And so now there's replacements for Israel. Some would say it's the church or whatever, right? Well, that is an absolute lie and a complete fallacy. God is not done with Israel. And this passage, by the time we get done with this chapter, we're going to have beat it half to death. From the Bible. Number two, God sits in eternity past, and since God is sovereign, He picked and chose who would and wouldn't get saved. In other words, if you were elected to salvation, eventually you're going to get saved because you don't have a choice in the matter. God's grace will overrun you and overflow you with irresistible grace to where you'll finally accept Christ as your Savior. And if you aren't elected, you have no way of getting saved because you're not part of God's elect because in eternity past, he didn't pick you. So you were born with no hope and your goal is God's going to get glory out of your life by damning you to hell, period, the end of the discussion. There's nothing you can do about it. That's Calvinism. I also notice the hypocrisy that generally tends to run with most Calvinists and there will always be exceptions that prove the rule. But generally, with most Calvinists, it kind of shocks me the way their whole family got elected. My wife's elect, my kids are elect, you know, because we all got picked. We're all special. Well, I mean, if God picks and chooses from eternity past, I mean, how come he didn't skip over one of your little brats, you know? It just aggravates the fire out of me. But anyways, I digress. So watch the passage, and let's look at it from their standpoint. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. That one's easy enough. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. See? God just has mercy on who he wants, and has compassion on who he wants, and who he doesn't, he doesn't. Nothing you can do about it. You see how if I just taught you this passage from this passage only, you could get kind of twisted up in your head a little bit. That's a trick of the trade. Let me show you one that I talked to the young man after church Sunday night about. Thou art Peter. Now here's how they teach it. Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church. This is how it's written. Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church. How do we know that? Well, if you just go with that, <clears throat> go with that one verse, you don't. You dote about questions and strifes of words, which you're told not to do. But when you start running the references in your Bible, you know who the rock is? It's Christ. Very clearly in multiple passages of Scripture. You know who Peter is? He's a lively stone, if you go read the book of Peter, built upon the foundation. The chief foundation is not the apostles. The, the, the foundation. They're the foundation, right? That's what Ephesians, I believe it is, tells you. Built upon the chief cornerstone, which is the rock, who is Jesus Christ. Peter wasn't the first pope. But that's what they do. They pull that passage out of, the, out of the context and they privately interpret that passage even though the Bible tells you no prophecy of the scriptures of any private interpretation. That means you don't get to interpret, well, what it means to me is, well, I don't, we don't care what it means to you. It doesn't matter what it means to you. It doesn't matter what it means to me. I don't care what it means to me when I'm up here. It has nothing to do with what it means to me. What does it say? And if I'm a little bit confused about what it says on that passage, I do what the Bible tells me to do, and I go line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. The funny thing about that instruction on how to study your Bible is it, in one sense it's there to wean you and help you grow and teach you the Bible, and in the next sense the same thing is written that you might go, go and fall backwards and stumble. In other words, if you want to lie... God will give you a lie. And you know where you'll get it from? You know what Lucifer did? Hey, Jesus, it's time to go to war. I'm going to do everything I can to get you to fall. And I'm pulling out my A game. And he started quoting Bible at him. When it comes to studying the Bible, you better make sure you study the Bible the way the author said to study it. He said to rightly divide it. That's number one. He said line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. That's number two. You compare scripture to scripture because the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And then number three, you don't privately interpret anything. Your private interpretation or the private interpretation of that passage. Does that make sense? So when we come into something like this that's a little bit confusing, we got to start looking and say, wait a second, let's let's find out what God means by this before we jump to the conclusion that, okay, God either had mercy on you or he didn't and you're either saved or not saved and there's nothing you can do about it. No, not at all. God hated Esau because of the decisions Esau made. His hatred for Esau and his judgment on Esau came up after. Esau made certain decisions, and his promise and blessing that was given to Jacob was after Jacob made certain decisions. Let me show you something about God. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. Keep your bookmark or something in Romans 9. We'll be back, but we're going to turn around a little bit tonight because we've got to compare Scripture with Scripture and not privately interpret this so we know we got the truth. Hebrews chapter 10. Let me show you something about the Lord. He says, let us, verse 23, sorry, Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. Here's what I want you to get from that. When God gives a promise, God keeps His promise. You understand that, right? You will go through phases of your life where it doesn't feel like he is keeping his promise. But if you stick with it, you will see God always pans out in the end. I promise you. Amen. He keeps his promises. All right. Go to Second Peter. Keep going to your right. Go to Second Peter chapter 3. So God's angry with the wicked every day, right? Uh, the, the, be not deceived, God's not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth the flesh shall the flesh reap corruption. He that soweth the spirit shall the spirit reap life everlasting, right? You reap what you sow. Is that true? 100%, right? How many of you know liars, cheats, thieves, immoral, wicked people, godless, depraved people, rapists and murderers that get away with it? Drug dealers that ruin people's lives and think nothing of it because they're making money. They could care less what they're doing to that marriage. They could care less what they're doing to the kids in the house. They could care less. They could care less. How many many of you know a good preacher that loved God that died young? I know some. I know some good dads, hardworking men, honest, moral, upright, upstanding men that got cut off early. You sit back and you look at that kind of thing and you think, man, sometimes you're like, I thought God said... Look at this verse, 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is longsuffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know why some wicked, wicked people seem to keep going and keep going and get away with it? You know why? God sees their hell getting hotter every day. God sees their eternity getting worse and worse every day. Horrors beyond what you and I can imagine. And so he's holding off saying, maybe they'll come to my son. Maybe they'll come to my son. It's been paid for. Maybe they'll come to my son. You know what you got to do? You got to learn to trust God no matter what you see. Because God keeps his promises. Oh, what about the guy that got cut off early? Oh, I don't know. Maybe God saw more pain coming in his life than he deserved. Maybe God was walking through his rose garden and said, that one's perfect right now. I want him to come with me because the Bible says precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Yeah. Precious in the sight of the Lord? Ain't precious for those of us back here that are missing somebody we love. But maybe God walks through his rose garden and plucks them when they're ready. Yeah. Look at Psalm 138. I want you to show you something else about God. Psalm 138, look at verse 2. This is a very important verse for you all to get a hold of. Psalm 138, 2. He said, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness. What a great word. And for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above All thy name. God has magnified his word. Do you see the small w? When it's a small w, it's regarding the written words of God. It's your Bible. The capital W is the proper name for the Lord Jesus Christ. One of his names is the word of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus Christ. So the word of God when it's a small w in the Bible is the written words. And collectively when you hold it in your hand, I hold right here the word of God. God said he's magnified his word above all his name. You know why that's important? Cuz that cuz what person in this room what person in this room would look at a book and say we were to put that above the name of Jesus Christ? You wouldn't, would you? From a human standpoint, But wait, why did God? I'll tell you why he did. Because somebody can get up here and claim the name of Jesus all he wants. I talked to you Sunday night about the Roman Catholic Church. They claim the name of Jesus. You can claim the name of Jesus all you want. What Jesus are you talking about? You know why he's magnified the word? To magnify is to make it larger. Right? I'm learning a little bit about that now in my mid-40s. I need to do a little magnifying from time to time. You understand what I'm saying? you got to make it bigger. He's trying to draw your attention to that book because He wants you to learn about His Son and learn about Jesus Christ and learn about your soul and learn about your eternity and learn about your life from what He said. And He's not slack concerning His promises. The promises of God in Him are yea and in Him, amen. And He keeps His word. So what did he say? Go back to Deuteronomy, please, chapter 7. I I didn't forget where I'm going here with this. I'm trying to show you something about why God hated Esau and how you can figure out whether or not he loves you or hates you because you can't judge it on feelings. How many of you remember the day you got saved? Let me see your hand. Remember the day you got saved. All right, now how many of you, right before you got saved, had a great feeling? It felt terrible, didn't it? It's called the conviction of the Holy Ghost. It's called fear of splitting hell wide open. It's called the guilt of sin. Well, if you just went by your feelings, what you would have done the day you got saved is before you trusted Christ as your Savior, you'd have got out of there. Wouldn't you? Don't trust your feelings. What do you got to trust is the Word of God. What happened when you trusted the Word of God and obeyed the gospel and asked Christ to save you and humbled your heart? How did you feel? Man, it was great, wasn't it? I've led, I've led more, more biker types to Jesus Christ than I care to remember. And you know what? Most of them wind up doing. I mean, I'm talking real tough guys, not 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 pretend like real ones. They get saved, and they sit there, they look up, I'm trying not to, let you see, they're crying, you know, like, and then hug you like a little girl. You know, just, oh, preacher, thank you. That's a great feeling, man. But if you'd have listened to your feelings, you'd have never experienced the right feeling. It was a bad feeling. That's conviction. Don't go by your feelings. Go by the book. Deuteronomy chapter 7, look at verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, He is God, the faithful God. Man, that's a good thing. You know, people are up and down, back and forth. I'm I'm glad I got a God who's right on all the time, boy. He never messes up. Which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love Him and keep His commandments to a thousand generations. What is the condition of His love, of His covenant, of His mercy? There's a condition there, isn't got to love Him and keep His commandments. Now look at verse 10. And repayeth them that hate Him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack to him that hateth him. He will repay him to his face. You mean he won't post it on the internet? You know why I'm off the internet? And I only check my emails enough to figure out whether or not it's a a sincere question or a shot. If it's shots, I delete. I don't even need it in my head. I don't even care. I, I believe in being man enough to say to somebody's face what needs to be said, and if it's not bad enough and doesn't need to be said then there's, to his face, then there's no point in saying it. Amen. God will tell you right to your face. He'll say, gird up thy loins like a man and answer me. Hey, look me in the face. Stand up. Where did I do you wrong? Find it. You know, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Well, life wasn't fair and things didn't work out good. I was just, you don't understand the way I was raised and all the things that were done to me. Like, where was any of that, anything that I commanded in the Bible? You realize every bad thing that's happened to you was not God's will? Every sinful thing that ever happened to you was somebody disobeying God. And then you get bitter at God because bad things happened in your life. Is that crazy or what? That's crazy. The one thing that can help you, the one thing that'll love you no matter what, the one thing that'll patch you up and get you through, the one thing that'll take all your problems and make you better because of them is the thing everybody gets mad at, you know. Doesn't make any sense, does it? You better love him. Go back to the book of Exodus, if you would, please. Look at chapter 20. Exodus 20, verse 5. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. You say, wait a second. I thought the sins of the fathers weren't supposed to be visited on the children. Yeah, if the children get a brain. Did you hear me? If the children get a brain and say, I saw what happened to dad... I saw what happened to mom. I'm not following their example. I'm following God. God won't visit your father's sins on you if you give your heart and life to God. But you know what most people do? I'm never going to be like my parents. And you know what you do? You wind up doing exactly what your dad did. I'm never going to do to my kids what my dad did to me. You know what you're going to do? You know why? You will. I know, just trust me, you will. You know why? It's called familiar spirits. It's visited on the children under the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Familiar, the root word of familiar is family. It's a devilish thing. My dad's a drunk, I'll never be a drunk. And then you you make God just like maybe an afterthought in your life, and you wind up doing exactly what your dad did, because it runs in the family. My dad got saved, he called his, uh, uh, his five total. So he called his three brothers in, and he has one sister, she's older, and he sat them all down and he said, listen, the Reagan man curse stops here, you're all getting saved, you know, they eventually did, I don't think that day it worked, but eventually they realized, but yeah, there's, when I look at my family, I see a curse running through on both sides, the Camarada side and the Reagan side. There's particular sins that run right down through the family and I won't get into the details of them, but it's like just like clockwork and they always hate their dad. You know how to break the curse? Love the Lord. Hating your dad ain't going to break the curse. It's going to be a tool of the devil to make you more bitter and to just feed that negative, angry, unforgiving, hurtful spirit. Instead, you give your heart and life to God Almighty and you say, Lord, I just want to be your man. That's all I want. I want to be whatever you want me to be. And you watch God make something special out of you. Look at the next verse. Showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. I'll take the mercy, thank you. Look at Exodus 33. I told you before you started the message that I have a hard time walking away from a fight. Let me tell you, I'm not stupid, though. I'm not stupid. There's one I don't want to square off with. And that's God Almighty. I fear Him. And I don't fear Him in the sense of I'm sitting around paranoid all the time. I fear Him in the sense that I don't want to step outside of what He's told me to do. I don't want to go against Him as long as I'm walking with him and doing my best, he's awful merciful to me even when I do mess up. As long as I love him and I'm trying, he's such a safe place. Exodus 33, look at verse 19. And he said, I'll make all my goodness pass before thee, and I'll proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. This is him dealing with Moses personally. And I'll be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I'll show mercy in whom I will show mercy. Well, the Calvinists say, see, God picks and chooses who he's going to be gracious and merciful to. Now, wait a minute. When God made this promise to Moses, how much has Moses been obeying God and following God? An awful long time. See, as you run the references in this Bible about God's mercy and God's love and God's anger and God's judgment, it's always based on the actions and the heart of the individual. It has nothing to do with God picking and choosing who will and won't, this, that, or the other. Now keep your finger here in Exodus and look, look back at Romans because we're coming right back to Exodus and we're going to explain this from the text. We're going to let the Bible interpret the Bible. So keep that mark in Exodus and look at Romans. Look at the next portion, verse 17. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, now watch this, here's how they teach it. Even for this same purpose I raise thee up that I might show my power in thee and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore, he hath mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will, he hardeneth. Therefore, what? That means Pharaoh had no choice at all in the matter. God raised him up for the purpose of damning him and destroying him and wiping out Egypt. According to that, that's what they're saying. Pharaoh had no choice. Because God hardened Pharaoh's heart, didn't he? He was a chosen vessel. God used him and hardened his heart and then judged him. Thou wilt say unto me in verse 19, Why doth he yet find fault for who hath resisted his will? So what they're saying is, Well then, why would God have a beef with Pharaoh and find fault with Pharaoh if Pharaoh wasn't resisting the will of God because it was the will of God for Pharaoh to do everything Pharaoh did? Are you following that? Let's go back and look at the story now. Go back to Exodus chapter 3. So God did harden Pharaoh's heart, and God did use him, just like God's going to use the kings of the earth in the tribulation period to turn on the great whore and to set everything up to to bring in the second uh, coming of Jesus Christ and the battle of Armageddon. He's going to use them all like pawns, right? He's going to be using a bunch of devils to fulfill his will. He puts it in their heart to fulfill his will. Look at uh, Exodus chapter 3. Now watch this. Look at verse 19. And I'm sure, this is God speaking, that the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not by a mighty hand. And I'll stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. After that, he will let you go. So what God's saying in verse 19 is, I'm God. I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. He was, he is, he is to come. I've showed you, taught you in Revelation, brought it up repeatedly in Romans. He's already sitting in eternity future. He's not bound by time. God sees every decision that you made in your lifetime. So God already knows how your life turns out. Now that's just a little bit of a poof. And, and it's proof that he's God and we're not because you can't explain that. You can't figure that out. And The more you try, the more you're exercising yourself after things that are too high for you. Worry about your daily walk with Jesus Christ. Don't worry about the unanswerables. But the fact of the matter is, according to the Bible, God's already out in eternity future and he knows the decisions you're going to make. That scares the fire out of me. When I come into a frustration or into a point where I, you know, you don't want to quit or whatever else, I sit and I look at that thing and I think, what does God know? What does God know already that I did? And I'm like, I'm going to make sure that God knows that I did the right thing right now. Because he does know. But it is up to me. He's not up there overriding your free will. God knew what Pharaoh would do before Pharaoh did it. Does that make sense? Let's go to the next one. Look at Exodus chapter 5. Look at verse 1. So God's foreknowledge does not mean that God controlled his decision. He just knew what he would do. Exodus chapter 5, verse 1. And afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. See his heart? His first response is, Who does God think he is? Has he seen one miracle yet? There's not a miracle here. There's just the word given to him. If you won't listen to the word of God, miracles won't do anything for you. That's all the way through the Bible. The word came in. Here's what God said, Pharaoh, let my people go. He said, who's the Lord and why should I listen to him? Get out of here. Nothing about God hardening his heart. Look at Exodus chapter 7. Look at verse 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, See, I have made thee a god to Pharaoh, and Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet. Thou shalt speak all that I command thee, and Aaron thy brother shall speak unto Pharaoh, that he send the children of Israel out of his land. And I will. See that? He didn't say, I have. He said, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, future tense, and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you that I may lay my hand upon Egypt and bring forth mine armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgment. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch forth mine hand upon Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. And Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded them, so did they. And Moses was fourscore that's 80 years old, and Aaron was fourscore and three, 83. Then they spake unto Pharaoh... And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh shall speak unto you, saying, Show a miracle for you, then shalt thou take uh, uh, thy rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and it shall become a serpent. And Moses and Aaron went in unto Pharaoh, and they did so as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, now the magicians of Egypt. They also did in like manner with their enchantments. Satan copycats, everything God does. then I showed you that over and over and over and over again. And they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents. So Pharaoh's like, oh, my guys can do the same thing. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. <laughs> That's kind of cool. And he hardened Pharaoh's heart, that he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. Who hardened the heart? Well, you're saying, you could say God, you could say Pharaoh, but it's ambiguous, you can't tell. In my opinion, and I'll show you when we get to the other passages, I think there's three different things working. I think Pharaoh's working, I think some devils are working because the magicians are in there full of evil spirits, and I think God's working. And the devil's coming in there trying to harden Pharaoh's heart against God. Because what you had in that context is you have God work a miracle and then Satan copycats the miracles. Like God gave them tongues in the book of Acts and they're, they're preaching in English for illustration's sake. And this guy over here is hearing an Aramaic and this guy over here is hearing a German. This guy over here is hearing in Latin and that guy over there is hearing... It, it, the translation was happening between his mouth and their ears. And they're like, how do we all hear it in our own tongues? And nowadays you've got a copycat of the real thing. Well, that's just how the devil always has worked. He throws down that stick, it becomes a rod. Uh, That rod, it becomes a serpent. The magicians do the same thing, they all become serpents. So God says, well, I'll show you who the boss is, and then God eats all theirs up, and he sits there and says, well, we did the same thing anyhow. And his heart was hardened. We don't know exactly who, by the way, it's written. But watch this. Go to the next, uh, look at verse 22. And the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened. It didn't say God hardened it. It just said was hardened. Neither did he hearken unto them as the Lord had said. God prophesied what was going to happen. Look at Exodus chapter 8. Look at verse 32. Exodus eight thirty-two. And Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also. Neither would he let the people go. Who hardened the heart? Clearly, Pharaoh. Based on the context of the other one, it looks like, all right, first God said, I will, so he hadn't done it yet. And then it looks like it was possibly a third party, could be Pharaoh, more than likely with some kind of spirit in the room. Haven't I told you God and the devil work so closely sometimes you can't tell the difference? Look at Exodus chapter 9. We're almost done. Hang in there. We're almost done. Exodus chapter 9, look at verse 7. And Pharaoh sent and beheld, there was not one of the cattle of the Israelites dead, and the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. You know what this guy is? He won't listen to the Bible when the Bible gets preached. When the preacher walked in and said, Hey, Pharaoh, God said, let my people go. Who does that preacher think he is? I ain't listening to that. I don't like the way he said it. Come strutting into my courtroom like that With all that boldness And walk up and look me straight in the face And start telling me what to do When I'm the stinking boss around here Who do you think you are Who is the Lord Get out What a wicked heart You see why God chooses preaching You know what preach means To proclaim loudly It has to do with stab or thrust How do you like that you know why nowadays they won't say preach? Don't preach at me, not even in church. We're going to speak, talks, because preaching is offensive. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but when I watch which are saved, it's the power of God. God chooses the base things. Nobody's going to respond to that. Well, I don't know. We've seen plenty respond. I figure a lot of times the reason that they yelp is because when you throw a rock at a pack of dogs, the one that gets hit the one that screams. I just don't like him. Oh. Must have been right on, huh? He wouldn't listen to the word of God. So since he wouldn't listen to the word of God, nothing else is working either. You know the gentlest way God can deal with you is a Bible? Is preaching. Look at verse 12, Exodus 9, 12. Now watch. So Pharaoh hardened his heart in Exodus 9, 7. Now watch Exodus 9, 12. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh... And he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had spoken unto Moses. How many chances did Pharaoh have before God said, okay, fine, I'm I'm done with you. And since you're in that position of leadership, I know how to use you and I'll get glory out of you and I'll show my people my power because you're such a hard hearted knucklehead. That I'll toughen that heart up so much that when your own baby dies, it doesn't do anything for you but make you more angry. <clears throat> Ain't that scary? Look at verse twenty-seven, Exodus nine twenty-seven. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron, and said unto them, I've sinned this time. You see that? He re- he confessed. His heart is hardened. He's been pushing back on God, pushing back on God, pushing back on God. And now he's repenting. But folks, this is a repentance that ain't the repentance God's looking for. It's like Esau. It's like Saul. He said, I've sinned. He knew he was wrong. This time the Lord is righteous and I and my people are wicked. He knew he was wrong. Entreat the Lord, for it is enough that there be no more mighty thunderings and hail, and I'll let you go, and ye shall stay no longer. And Moses said unto him, As soon as I am gone out of the city, I'll spread abroad my hands unto the Lord, and the thunder shall cease. Neither that shall be there be any more hail, that thou mayest know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for thee and for thy servants, I know that ye will not yet fear the Lord. Look down at verse 34. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunders were ceased, he sinned yet more and hardened his heart, he and his servants. The heart of Pharaoh was hardened. Neither would he let the children of Israel go as the Lord had spoken by Moses. You know what he did? When he got caught, when he was in over his head, all of a sudden he wanted to confess and get right. And then as soon as the problem blew over, he didn't need God anymore. How many of you have seen people like that? All of a sudden, their life is falling apart. Now it's, I need to find God. Yes, I know I'm a sinner. I just need to find God. And then it's like, okay, well, here's a little bit of money. And they go, oh, thanks, I'll go pay my bill. And then you don't see him at church again. That's why we don't pass out money. We do help people, but we don't pass out money. I get the calls all the time, you know. They they call on such a schedule, they forget that they talk to me because they're calling through everybody. I recognize the voices after a while. You just get a job. I mean, I know you got a career, but get a job. Look at Exodus chapter 10. Amen. Exodus 10, 1, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I might show these my signs before him. All those guys that are standing by him and standing by him and standing by him and standing by him because they needed him to survive. He's like, since they're standing by him, I hardened their heart too. You better be careful what company you run with. You talk to a lot of mamas, you know, it's like, well, my boy's in prison and he's a good boy. He just got caught up in the wrong crowd. No, your boy was with the wrong crowd because he was one of them. Birds of a feather flock together. You hang out with what you are. And if that ain't what you are, get away from them. Exodus uh, Exodus 10.20, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he would not let the children of Israel go. Verse 27, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let them go. Back over to Romans 9. Now let's look at it without privately interpreting it and we're done. We'll make a little application to ourselves and go home for tonight. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Exodus 9, 17, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up. Please notice, for the scripture saith. The scripture speaks. Jesus Christ is the word. You can't separate them. You can't peel God away from his book. You can't peel God away from his promises. You can't peel God away from his words. That's why we love our Bible. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore he hath mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. So what's he saying when you go back and look at what happened? When you look at what happened, God gave him opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And he rejected, hardened his heart, hardened his heart. So then God said, okay, fine. I'll give you what you want. And I'll toughen your heart up so hard that nothing will move you. And I'll do it for a purpose. It doesn't mean that God sealed Pharaoh's fate before Pharaoh had a choice. You can't blame God. That's what the next verse is telling you. Thou shalt then say unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? If God automatically picked and choosed for you, you would have a just argument. For who hath resisted his will? Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hath thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay over the, of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop here for tonight, but I'm going to show you next week how that vessel thing works. In the New Testament, you're told in the great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man, therefore, purge himself of these, what? The vessels. I'm going to take you over to the book of Jeremiah and I'm going to show you what the potter does in the potter's house with his vessel. So here's the takeaway for tonight. What way do you want to bring God glory? Do you want to be an illustration of the judgment of God of a fool that wouldn't give their life to God and what God does to a man that won't listen? Or do you want to be a vessel unto honor? Because God is the one that writes the rules. You understand that? He's the one that gave you that book to lay out the instructions for you, and if you'll follow the instructions, you'll be a vessel unto honor. If you won't follow the instructions, then he'll say, Okay, fine, fool, I'll use you, and I'll make you an illustration to everybody. I raise thee up. I'll make you an illustration to everybody of what it's like when somebody won't live for God. Folks, we got enough of those illustrations around us, don't we? (laughs) What I want, I'll tell you what I want to be. I want to be a vessel unto honor, sanctified meat for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. And guess what? That's up to me to do what he said and to love him. It ain't about being perfect. I'm asking you tonight, where is your heart with God? Will you listen to what he says in his book, his words, and will you obey what that book says? If you'll do that, God will make you a vessel unto honor. God can use somebody like that. All right, let's go ahead and be dismissed in a word of prayer tonight.